Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stripe High Podcast. I am your editor and host, Travis Steffen, and I got my co-host with me today, Jack Lane, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we expect from this offense, what do we think is the most crucial part of the offense that needs to excel this year, and for the offense to take that big step forward. And so let's get right down into it with Jack Lane. All right, so I want to start you off with something that I saw from Joe Goodberry from The Athletic on Twitter today. And he posted that everything went well for the offense in the 2015 Bengals. Big impact from Tyler Eifert and Marvin Jones. But looking at 2014, those two caught a total of three passes for 37 yards. They bounced back in 2015 with 117 receptions for 1,427 yards and 17 touchdowns. Thinking about the impact of Eifert and John Ross could make in 2018, they combined for just four catches for 46 last year. So the similarities of Ross and Jones basically missing the 2014 and 17 seasons and Eifert going on IR early in those same years gives him hope. How do you feel about that? I think that's a really good comparison between the roster this year and the roster in from 2014 going into 2015 because like Goodberry said you didn't see this coming at all from Marvin Jones just because you didn't see him at all in 2014 and I think that's a lot of what we're going to see from John Ross going from last year this year a lot of fans were upset with the pick in 2017 Ross in the first round ninth overall I was one of those people I didn't like the pick at all and it was made no better by the fact that he basically didn't play last year but at the same time, this is a guy who is supremely talented and he's coming into a roster, a wide receiver roster, that there's not much talent outside of A.J. Green. So he's going to get all the opportunity in the world to soak up targets and prove that he's actually a really talented wide receiver. And him alongside Tyler Eifert, somebody I think is actually going to stay healthy this year, I think we're going to see this kind of bounce back from uh, Ross and Eifert coming from last year to this year, just like the bounce back we saw from Jones and Eifert in 2014 to 2015. I completely agree. I think that, you know, everyone, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm a huge John Ross fan. I think that he can bring a lot to the table. I think that we've seen a lot from him this offseason, who he's training with, and he's already ahead of what he was last year because last year he was not involved in OTAs he was still rehabbing his shoulder. And so we're getting to see him go and practice with the team earlier. And he's had a full off season for the first time in the NFL. And all of that work is going to come together. And I think that John Ross is easily going to be the number two. And I think that he will, by week two or three even, even that early, I think that he will start taking attention off of Green and Eifert. Yeah, I think the thing with Ross is he is such a dangerous receiver on the outside that he doesn't even have to touch the ball to be a threat. I mean, this is a guy who literally broke the Combine's record for fastest guy, fastest man of any prospect. And he's going to take coverage away from the middle of the field from guys like A.J. Green, like Eifert, from the third receiver, let's call it Tyler Boyd. If he's running along the sideline, blowing past corners, I mean, he's so dangerous when he's fully healthy, and I don't think we've seen that yet. I think there's a lot to look forward to with him in 2018. 
Yeah, I, I hope you're right with the uh, Tyler Boyd being the third receiver. I really, you know, I, I was reading an article on, you know, what post-draft, what every off, you know, what every team needs to still address this offseason. And for Cincinnati, it was second receiver. And at first I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is going to be another article that they're saying we need to go out and pick up a, a Des Bryant or something like that or another older receiver. And um, it actually uh, was quite the con- contrary. Um, they said that they need to develop the young receivers they have. They have yet to develop any of these guys that they've put a lot of draft capital in, and Tyler Boyd being one of those, being a second-round pick, and I, th- I think that he can take over that third spot. I think that he will have to compete with Brendan LaFell, unfortunately, but I do think Brendan LaFell will do better back in the slot. I think that that's his primary position, um, but of course last year with John Ross not being able to play, you know, he kind of had to play that outside role. So I'm hoping that if LaFell is in that third spot, I hope that it's in the slot. Yeah, I think with uh, looking at Boyd as a uh, potential uh, second receiver, you can look to last year. He wasn't really utilized that well, but as the season progressed, as he got a little healthier because he had an injury in the middle of the year, weeks 10 through 16 – we actually saw him get progressively more snaps. So in week 10, he took about 40% of snaps, and by weeks uh, 15 and 16, he was actually above 50%. And against Baltimore, he actually got 76% of the snaps and was instrumental in leading that and leading us to victory, catching that crucial fourth down um, reception over the middle, leading to the touchdown. I think uh, receiving core with Green, Boyd, and LaFell in the slot Ross utilized on the outside is really intriguing. But something else I'm looking at is using two tight end sets in the goal line, near the goal line. This is something I looked at a little bit when I dove into the tight end position. Eifert, obviously, when he's on the field, is one of the NFL's elite red zone threats. In 2015, when he was fully healthy, when he played all 16 games, he caught 13 touchdowns. That's when he's on the field, he's a difference maker in the end zone. But when Eifert was off the field last year, we saw Croft step up as somebody who can not quite match what Eifert does, but at least mirror what Eifert does. Because Croft caught eight touchdowns last year too. And that was basically tied for the team lead in touchdowns. So I think if you put both those guys on the field, especially inside the 20, you're going to be drawing a lot of the defense's attention towards one of those two guys. Somebody's going to be open. I think that really helps the red zone offense next year. I'm intrigued to see whether Laser wants to do something like that in the red zone. I definitely like it. I think that, um, you know, especially with Croft, I think he is more of a red zone target than anything else. You know, I, I didn't see him be very productive between the 20s. So I, I completely agree. I, I like having the two tight end sets, you know, in the red zone, um, especially if you can – even maybe get Tyler Eifert on the outside opposite of A.J. Green. I think that forces the defense to spread out, and then you have John Ross and Tyler Croft in the middle. Um, I think that could be extremely, extremely beneficial. You know, it'll open up uh, for running backs coming out of the backfield. You know, just I, and I think that's what they want to do this year. They want to spread defenses out, and I think I think it'll, you know, 
two tight end sets would be perfect, especially considering the fact that that's where Croft plays his best game. Yeah, absolutely. Croft was pretty ineffective between the 20s last year, and, and that's really not his game. I don't expect him to do that next year, especially if Eifert's the starter. Eifert can do that. He can really soak up those uh, middle-of-the-field targets between the 20s and be kind of that field stretcher that you see elite tight ends like Rob Gronkowski and Zach Ertz be. Um, if Eifert can actually stay healthy and kind of replicate what he did in that 2015 season, I'm really excited about our tight end position this year. I think it's actually one of the stronger tight end groups in the NFL because Eifert, as hard as it is to remember, he was one of the elite tight ends in the NFL coming off that 2015 campaign. And I'm, I really do think he's actually going to stay healthy this year because the Bengals have been extremely cautious with his health following last year. He's on that one-year prove-it deal. If he doesn't pull through, his NFL career is probably over. So I'm looking for him to stay healthy, start to match what he did in 2015. And then the development of Tyler Croft behind Eifert was huge. I mean, Croft showed he can step up into that starter's role. And if he's playing second fiddle to Eifert next year, I think that's a perfect role for Croft. Somewhere, somebody who can just take short yardage targets, be a red zone threat, especially when all of the attention down there is on Green and Eifert. And I think that they need to, I think that Bill Lazor needs to build a big enough playbook for in case Eifert is not there. And basically kind of, you know, build a lot of packages for, you know, Croft. Um, you know, I, I know that uh, we have our hopes that Eifert will stay healthy for a full season, but we haven't seen it in the first five years. And, you know, while I would love to sit here and say that, yeah, he's definitely going to stay, stay healthy this year, you know, with a back problem, that scares me. You know, I know, I know that they say that he's feeling good and all that stuff. I've seen back problems come back way too many times. Um, I think that most of the offense should be built in case Tyler Eifert's not on the field, which means that you're going to have to find other playmakers besides Tyler Eifert to really explode out of your offense. You're going to have to have the running backs making more of an impact. You're going to have to have John Ross making a bigger impact. Something outside of Eifert to take away the attention off of A.J. Green and keep defenses from slanting towards Green's side. And so I think that while Eifert should be, you know, have quite a big impact on the offense, I don't think that they should build their offense around him. No, that's absolutely true. I would I would not want to put the Bengals' hopes and dreams for 2018 on Tyler Eifert's health because that's an extremely dangerous proposition. But at the same time, I think it's fair to be optimistic. And oh, yeah. if um, if we don't see Eifert come back healthy... I think we can at least rely on Croft as a starting tight end. I think you would. I, I think it's fair to call him like a league average tight end. And then if we're in a situation where Croft is the starting tight end, you're right. We need somebody from this wide receiver core to step up. Somebody who can kind of manage these between the 20 targets. Somebody like a Tyler Boyd or even veteran Brandon LaFell. If he can step up and be that kind of slot receiver, take on 55, 60 targets just keep moving the chains that's that's the just the kind of target we need in the middle of the field because we're going to have green and presumably a healthy ready to go john ross on the outside 
Yeah, I think that, like I said earlier, I think Brandon LaFell, if he's going to be on the field, he needs to be in the slot. You know, we, we saw him do it in 2015 and, or 2016, excuse me. And then 2017, he was asked more to play that outside role uh, to fill in for Ross. So, you know, we've seen the difference on where he lines up. Um, but I think for me, I always, I always forget uh, Croft, you know, or at least not give him a good enough grade because, you know, I, I cover the Bengals and the Chiefs. So I'm used to two very elite tight ends. You know, you got Tyler Eifert and Travis Kelsey. And watching those two constantly, you, you, you forget what a league average actually is. And you, you think it should be higher than it really is. And I think, honestly, I think that Croft could beat out some, some starting tight, tight ends in the league. Um, but that honestly, that'd be very interesting to see if Tyler Croft gets another, you know, season in place of Tyler Eifer. And if he has a, you know, at least 500 yard year, he could be looking at a bigger contract here or somewhere else. I wouldn't be surprised if Eifert doesn't play well, if we saw the Bengals look to Croft as the tight end of the future. I mean, Croft was is probably the best tight end to come out of that 2015 draft class, and he obviously is a great red zone target. He can soak up those short yardage um, passes. If he can just add a little bit of that between the 20s to his game, especially if he's asked to be in that starting role this year, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him be the Bengals' starter of the future. So who do you think on this offense, outside of Green, of course, who do you think has to have a breakout season? Or not even really a breakout season, just a good season for this offense to take a major leap forward? I think the two biggest breakouts, biggest turnarounds, I don't know what you'd want to call it, have to come from the two biggest positions, which is quarterback and running back. you got to see Andy Dalton come back to that 2015 season where he was really playing at MVP caliber. And then I think you have to see Joe Mixon break out. Last year, he played solid, but this is everything sets up perfectly for him this year. He's going to have a much better offensive line. He's going to have a better, more creative offensive coordinator, more dynamic passing weapons around him. The holes should be there. If Mixon is really the running back of the future for this team, he really needs to have a breakout season this season. I'm going to agree. I think I was going to say that Joe Mixon needs to be the guy, or even if you want to mix in all the running backs with, you know, Bernard and Walton and all of them, I think that the running game will make a huge difference in the passing game. You know, the Bengals were 29th in rushing attempts last year. They pretty much shied away from it. And when they did run the ball, it wasn't until like the last two weeks of the season that they actually started running packages that actually complemented the running backs they had so I think that Joe Mixon needs to take a huge step forward and I think that having a lot more play action or read option plays I think that will benefit a lot of that um and as much as I think that John Ross needs to take a huge step forward this year which isn't saying much considering he didn't do anything last year Mm -hmm. but I think that he needs to have a good season for this offense to take that next step, whether or not Tyler Eifert's on the field. But I think that Joe Mixon is the biggest piece on this offense to take a step forward. Yeah. And the thing with Mixon is Mixon had a really solid year last year, despite 
the offensive line despite Dalton's um, deficiencies. His yards per carry wasn't fantastic, but you look at his PFF grade, it was uh, among the top 20 in the NFL. He was definitely a solid player, and he really did handle a bulk of the carries, talking like 60% of the snaps throughout the year. But aside from him, Ross is obviously a guy. I look at the offensive line. We've built great along the left side of the line, but I think you look at the two, uh, the right guard and the right tackle, those two positions need to step up their game too because I'm not worried about the guys on the left side, Cordy Glenn, Clint Bowling, Billy Price. I think Frank Pollock is going to come in as the new offensive line coach and really help the development of these guys on the right side, like Christian Westerman at guard, Jake Fisher at right tackle. But they do need to at least take a step forward because neither of them were particularly effective last year when they got uh, playing time. And if this team is a playoff team, this offensive line needs to be a little bit stronger. And I think those two positions really need to take a step forward too. And I think we're going to, you know, we talked about this before the show. I think that this year for that right side of the line, you know, whether Jake Fisher's starting, whether Westerman's starting or whoever is starting at those two positions, I think that we're really going to get a good look at what Frank Pollock did to develop those players. Because, you know, everyone wants to blame the offensive line, you know, taking a huge step back because, you know, two players hitting free agency with Whitworth and Zeitler. But, you know, in their last year in 2016, this the offense actually gave up more sacks that year. I think they gave up 41 that year and 39 last year. And so a lot of it has to do with Paul Alexander and, you know, his developmenting, developing these players. And so if we see a huge upgrade or even, you know, just a solid full season from Jake Fisher or whoever starts at those two positions, I think you have to award all of that to Frank Pollock. I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, the 2016 line wasn't great. The 2017 line was clearly not great. And to say the offensive line was bad is maybe even an understatement. So if we're going to pin the blame of last year's failures, of 2016's failures on the offensive line, the Bengals have put so much into the line this year, we need to see it rebound because not much has changed outside of the position. So if we're going to take a step forward as a team, we need this glaring flaw to... um, to get fixed and I think I mentioned Christian Westerman I mentioned Jake Fisher but obviously there's guys behind them in Trey Hopkins and Bobby Hart and I'm really looking forward to the competition we're going to see between Westerman Hopkins and Hart and Fisher at those positions because I think the competition is going to help everybody grow especially with the oversight of Pollock I agree I think that my my only the only thing I wonder is how long will it take for that offensive line to really gel together? Because when you're taking a whole offensive line group, it's not like the defensive line where everyone's got their own different role. Offensive line is all as a unit. So these guys, yeah, they're, they're working together right now in camp, aside from Billy Price, who just does some of the walkthroughs and then, you know, kind of watches with the coaches. But I wonder how long it'll take into the regular season for those guys to really understand or have a feel for how each other plays, especially for Clint Bowling right now, you know, he's got two different guys on both sides of him. So I do think it should take a big step forward this year. I wonder how long it'll take till we see that big step, because 
I think that there's going to be a little bit of a transition those first couple of weeks, especially, you know, getting getting used to everybody. But I think by mid-season, we're going to see a huge improvement. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. So you got three three of the five positions on the line in bowling. Whoever wins between Westerman and Hopkins at right guard, and then presumably Jake Fisher right tackle as guys who were on the line last year, but really only bowling was a staple of that line. And adding two new pieces in Cordy Glenn and Billy Price, especially at such important positions as left tackle and center, it's definitely possible that these guys are going to take a minute to kind of get used to each other, get used to the new scheme of Frank Pollock, and really start to gel, as you said. And to look at kind of the schedule to start the year, you have the Colts in week one, which is not bad, but then you play Baltimore, Carolina, Atlanta. These are all teams that are pass rushers. <laughs> yeah, they got great pass rushers, and they're playoff caliber teams, so they're going to be putting a lot of pressure on this line really early. So to see them stumble a little bit early wouldn't be surprising at all. And I think it's important to have a little patience with this unit as it develops over the course of the year. But I, I mean, I would be stunned if this unit's not significantly better in 2018, just given the development along the right side of the line and the additions on the left side of the line. So I got one more, you know, we, we know that the offense was terrible last year, you know, worst running game in Bengals history, you know, the 27th in offense or passing and then the worst in overall offense. But you put out an article earlier this week talking about A.J. Green and where he ranks among the top receivers in the league. So why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a trailer version of that article or, you know, just a gist of what you found when you were writing that article? Yeah, so when I was thinking about A.J. Green, because A.J. Green, at least for me personally, has been one of my favorite Bengals basically ever since he's been drafted. And he's also been a key component of my fantasy team, but <laughs> he just has. Um, but I'm outside of the Bengals, A.J. Green feels like he doesn't really get a lot of respect as one of the elite receivers in the NFL, even though he is among the most consistent receivers in the NFL every single season. So I just looked at kind of like what Green puts on the table relative to these other elite NFL receivers. So you're looking at Green as one of the most talented receivers in the NFL. I think a lot of people forget Green was the fourth overall pick of the NFL draft when he came out in 2011, which is, of the receivers in the NFL, the highest draft pick of any receiver aside from Larry Fitzgerald, who was the third overall pick. And... You look at what Green brings to the table from a skill perspective. He has every single skill in the bag. His route tree is incredibly developed. He can stop on a dime. He can blow past you with elite speed. He can out-physical you on deep balls. And then he has great footwork along the lines. And he has great hands. Then his you look at his statistical production. He has the most 1,000-yard seasons start a career of any wide receiver in NFL history. And he would continue that streak had he not missed the last six games of the 2016 season, which was just unfair on Bengals' uh, management part to not let him play at least one game to keep his 1,000-yard streak going. And then you look at his uh, PFF grades. He's been 
among the top 10 of NFL receivers every single season. Even last year, he was 12th, and that was what I would consider his worst season of his entire career. So when you look at Green holistically, he brings everything to the table. And you may even see the Bengals holding him back from being as good as he possibly could be. So if you're comparing him to guys like Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know if there's anybody else you want to throw into that group. I don't see why you wouldn't want A.J. Green over all of those guys, just given the versatility, the holistic skill set he brings to the table. I completely agree with what you said about the Bengals possibly holding him back. I, I do. And this is not a knock on Andy Dalton at all. You know, I, th- I think that Andy Dalton is above average quarterback, but he's not that guy that's going to carry your team when things are going completely wrong. Um, he's also not one of your top deep passer quarterbacks. Um, you know, last year he really struggled with it, and we can talk about the offensive line all we want, but when he did have enough time, there was a lot of passes that were thrown either out of bounds or way ahead of green when he was running the dig route. So I think that... You know, of course, we'll never know unless A.J. Green, of course, goes to another team and plays with more of a gunslinger quarterback. But when you look at some of those quarter, or those receivers that you were talking about, you're talking about Antonio Brown. You're talking about Odell Beckham. Even Julio Jones. You know, those three right there have more gunslinger mentality quarterbacks than the Bengals. Then you look at Hopkins. I think that he's another guy that gets forgotten about by by the average fan because he's not in a like those other three he's not in a high stage team you know like the um just a huge community you know one of those most talked about teams but you're looking at hopkins who yeah he did great with watson but when watson went down last year even with bad quarterback play he was still phenomenal and I think that A.J. Green is the same way. It doesn't matter who you put in there. He's going to be phenomenal. But at the same time, I think that the Bengals are limiting what they can get out of both Eifert and A.J. Green. And I think a lot of that has to do with Dalton. And once again, it's not a knock on Dalton. It's just he's not the gunslinging quarterback that can make those plays downfield like some of these other quarterbacks. So I do. I wonder if... AJ Green would have gone to the Steelers or the Falcons or the Giants. You know, what would his production look like there? Um, you know, last year it was a down year. The whole offense was awful, and that's, you know, keeping it PG. But I wanna I wanna see what he does this year with more weapons around him. You know, I wanna see him with John Ross on the field. I wanna see him with a running game on the field, with Tyler Eifert back on the field. And I want to see him even take it that next step forward. I think that if he gets more opportunities downfield, he will get a lot more respect. Yeah, the thing you bring up with the deep passing is really interesting because Green coming out of college, like I said, he had basically every skill in the bag. But the thing he was known for was his ability to go deep, um, out physical guys on 50-50 balls, and really come down with passes over 20 yards in the air and his first year in the league he averaged over 16 yards per reception ever since then he hasn't even touched 15 yards per reception as he's kind of been utilized more as this short intermediate routes guy but 
Green, when you look at his performance on these 20-plus yard throws, continues to be one of the best in the NFL. He catches 50% of his deep balls. And this is coming from a guy in Andy Dalton who is not at all known for the deep ball, as you've noted. And you look at what Andy Dalton does on the deep ball. He rarely throws it over 20-plus yards. He usually averages around 25 to 30 attempts, like over 25 yards per season. And he only completes about 40% of those. So so Green is really saving his bacon on these deep passes. And then just looking at what Green can do with these weapons, I think having a great supporting cast is really going to help Green kind of unlock exactly what he does best because Green toasts people in one-on-one situations. But you saw last year he was getting a lot of double teams drawing people's best corners and then help, which, I mean, nobody can free themselves from those kind of situations. So if you see John Ross come along, you see Tyler Boyd come along, you see Brandon LaFell become more useful, you're going to start to resemble those teams from like 2014, 2015, where you saw Marvin Jones, uh, Muhammad Sanu, and a healthy Tyler Eifert taking away some of the pressure. And Green was putting up seasons where he was touching over 90 receptions, nearly 1,300 yards, double-digit touchdowns. I think we're going to see something like that from A.J. Green this year where he's going to bounce back. He's going to show us this is why I'm one of the best receivers in the NFL. This is why I'm being paid like one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I think he's going to put himself in that conversation again with one of these kinds of seasons. Yeah, I think that he's one of the more best well-rounded receivers when you look at the top group. I think that, you know, each one of them has a skill set that they're better than the others. You know, of course, Antonio Brown is not that guy that's going to out-physical someone at the catch point, whereas, you know, Julio Jones is the perfect candidate for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say he's probably top three, you know, especially since we can't see him with another quarterback or in another system. Um, I hope that this offense changes my opinion on that this season, um, you know, especially with Brandon LaFell coming out, you know, during – camps talking about the new playbook being more attacking downfield and quickly so maybe we will get to see that a little more this season but i think he's at least top three yeah i think top three is where i land so one of the things i brought up in the article is that people polled gms i think it was a couple years ago i don't i'm sure they could do this every year but um people polled um gms on what receiver they'd want as number one receiver in the NFL. And I was stunned to hear this. 98% of them chose Julio Jones as their number one wide receiver. And I can see why, because Julio Jones is that guy who kills people downfield. If there's one guy who's a better downfield receiver than A.J. Green, it probably is Julio Jones. But Julio Jones doesn't have the route tree of A.J. Green. He doesn't have the short and intermediate um, ability to kind of soak up targets like A.J. Green. And weirdly enough, he hasn't been the red zone target that A.J. Green has been. So when I look he only at had like three touchdowns last year, three touchdowns last year in the course of his career, he's got fewer than 50 touchdowns while AJ green has around 60 touchdowns and uh, they were from the same class, just two picks apart. So when I'm looking at my top receivers, I probably take Antonio Brown over him just cause I watch Antonio Brown play. I am amazed by what the guy can do. I would consider Odell, but at the same time, Odell's injury history is really concerning. 
and obviously his um, ability to mix with um, the Giants in the locker room, I'm not sure about. A.J. Green might be my second best wide receiver in the NFL, and I really wish we could see A.J. play with some of the more elite quarterbacks in the NFL, like a Ben Roethlisberger, like a Matt Ryan, like these guys who have just better situations than A.J. Green has. But then again, I think this offense next year will definitely help A.J. Green especially with Bill Lazor's offense trying to attack more downfield, that's going to utilize some of A.J. Green's strengths. I agree. I hope that we see A.J. Green get to really explode this season because, you know, there's only so many seasons for even a wide receiver. And he's starting to come up on that end of the prime era, you know, for an average receiver. So I do hope that we see something big from him this year. And I hope that... Bill Lacer's offense, Frank Pollock's offensive line. I hope it all meshes together and completely goes off. But I think that the first thing that has to happen is that run game. You know, not running the ball last year just absolutely destroyed the offense. And, you know, I think that will open up downfield a lot more. But I think that's where we're going to cut out for this one. Um, But I think next time we'll talk about, you know, we'll get into the OTAs. We'll get into... You know all the stuff that's going on there and you know where how we feel about the overall roster so we'll talk to you guys next time